Okay, if you turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. And reading just one verse, verse 11. Remember, we're in this uh, section here where the apostle is giving us principles of Christian conduct, the ways that uh, the Savior would have us to live, having redeemed us, having uh, shed his blood for us. He calls us to a life uh, of obedience, a life of holiness, a life of righteousness. And this is one of the sections in the scriptures where some of these are outlined And it's rooted right in the gospel, as you can see from the beginning of the chapter. But one verse, verse 11 today, do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you now uh, for your word. We thank you that you have restored us, you have saved us, uh, you have given us grace to believe, and that uh, you have called us Uh, Lord, to a life following you and living according to your ways. And we thank you that that returns us to a decent kind of living, the kind of living that is fulfilling. Uh, uh, The world is deceived by sin and uh, believes that the, uh, the way of true happiness and joy is doing whatever we want to do. But we know that when we live outside of your bounds, it brings misery and hardship into our lives. And so we thank you for these sections of Scripture that uh, teach us how we should live as born-again people. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you've been a believer for a fairly long period of time, uh, and of course that's a very uh, nebulous kind of way to put it, but if you have been a believer for a long time, Uh, If you've attended a Bible-believing church for a long time, you've gone to Bible studies, you've been serious about reading your Bible, uh, you've been perhaps uh, very careful to be in contact with other Christians constantly and discussing the truth, if you've been doing all that, there's not much new you're ever going to learn about doctrine or practice. If you've been a Christian for a long time, there's never going to be a time, most likely, when someone comes into a pulpit and preaches something, you're going to say, I never heard of that doctrine before, or I've never heard of that Christian principle. <clears throat> That's kind of what's going on here. I doubt if you've been a believer for a long time, the things that are being outlined in chapter 12 are things that are brand new to you. You know all about them. And so if you're, if you're in that category, you're really now in what I would call the reminder stage when you come to the scriptures. You're in, you're in that jog your soul uh, you're in that uh, phase of, of your Christian walk where it's you come to the Bible and the Bible is more or less saying, have you forgotten this? Uh, uh, sometimes it's even having our cage rattled to say this truth, which I know so well, I haven't been practicing it. Uh, but we do become forgetful. We become complacent about different areas. That's one reason, of course, why we need each other, because we can see things in each other's lives where we can help each other. You know, the apostles do that constantly. Peter does it, Paul does it, and others do it when they're writing their letters. For example, Peter says in 2 Peter 1, 12 and 13, listen to this. This is interesting how he puts this. Therefore, I intend to remind you of these qualities. He's been talking about certain Christian virtues that we should be adding to our lives. Therefore, I intend to remind you of these qualities 
though you know them, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. So Peter says, I know you've got all this stuff right now. He says, but I'm going to remind you of them because, again, by the spirit, he understands that um, we become forgetful. We become complacent. He goes on to say, and I think it is right as long as I am in this literally tent, as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. And he does the same thing in chapter three of, of, of the second letter. He says, I want to remind you. And he says, remember the prophets, what they've told you about at, at the end of the age, how false prophets will come along and they will say, oh, what is this thing about the second coming? What is this thing about the Lord's return? He says, I will remind you that they t- that the prophets have told you that this very thing would happen. Paul does the same thing in his letters. For example, Philippians three, one. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. And there's a dispute about what same things he's talking about, but we know he's talking about something that to them was the same thing he's writing again. He says, is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. It's a safe thing to hear the truth repeated. When he writes to Timothy, who's who's pastoring at Ephesus, he says to Timothy, remind them of these things. And he's just been talking about some major truths about the person of Christ. To Titus, he says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. And that's what I think that's very necessary in the time we're living in, to be obedient to rulers, because it's very easy to say bad things about our politicians right now. And I do it. And I don't think it's wrong to point out where they're off biblically, but we can go a lot further than that and say bad things about them. There was a time in the church in Thessalonica where False teaching was coming in that that the Lord had spoken. And he says to them, Paul says to the Thessalonians, do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? Another example, Jude, he writes in the fifth verse of his letter. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this. Isn't that interesting? That's that's what I find happens. You know, I want to remind you. At one time you knew this, but you've forgotten it. And then he goes on to say that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, destroyed those who did not believe. Right in front of us this morning, who, who, who would think as a Christian you'd kind of get dull or forget about the cross? Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus says, to bring us back to the foundation of all these things. So these principles in Romans 12 are reminders to many of you. Uh, They're things to stir you and me up. So here's the next one. Don't be spiritually lazy. If if you're getting lazy spiritually, then don't be spiritually lazy, he says at the first part of the verse. Literally, it says, in the diligence, not lagging behind. Uh, Now, you know, you may not be lazy in a lot of things. You may be the kind of person you're very diligent at work. Uh, maybe you're at your your place of residence, your lawn is mowed nicely, you get out the weed whacker and you're very diligent about that. You're diligent about your looks, perhaps. Um, don't be looking at each other at this point in time. Uh, but you can be spiritually lazy. Uh, other translations, never lacking in zeal. ESV says do not be slothful in zeal. 
We're to stay away from an undisciplined life, and nothing good ever really gets accomplished apart from discipline. Luther said this in the 1500s, this evil of being slothful in spirit, lazy, spiritual things, he says, this evil is so widely spread that hardly anyone regards it as proper to exert himself to the utmost. In other words, he was saying, if someone is doing this verse right here, if they're not, if they're, if they're being, uh, if they're not being slothful in their diligence, he says they're going to be an oddball. He says it's such a common thing, and we feed on that with each other. We say, well, he's not really serious about that, so I'm not going to be either. I want to fit in, so it's a, it's a, it's highly infectious, the spiritual sloth. So what Luther was complaining about was that Christians don't try hard enough. That's what he was saying. He was saying they don't try hard enough, and it wasn't an unusual situation. It was the prevailing custom in his university church where he preached regularly. Someone might say, well, when you talk about discipline and, and working hard at, at being godly, isn't that kind of unspiritual to try to be holy? And I would say no. The Bible says, discipline yourself for godliness, 1 Timothy 4, 7. Or Paul says in Romans 8, 13, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body. So we don't forget that we're dependent totally on the Spirit of God to be holy. But he doesn't say, by the Spirit, let the Spirit put to death the deeds in your body. He says, you do it. It's your responsibility by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's very easy to make excuses about sloth. When... Solomon is talking about sloth in the physical realm. He says this, and it's very applicable to spiritual sloth. He says, the sluggard says, there is a lion outside. I may be killed in the streets. In other words, his man doesn't want to go to work. And so the very unlikely possibility would be like us saying, there may be a bear in the streets. Um, and lazy people are well known for making excuses for why they are being slothful in their spiritual life. It's see-through. I actually heard a man one night who had been uh, in church. He had been, I was sitting in the pew and we had someone leading the service before I got up to speak. And one of the uh, elders came up to him who was very close to him. And he said, hey, where you been lately? He says, I haven't seen you around much. What have you been doing? He says, well, I bought a piece of land, had to go look at it. And I thought, He's quoting the scripture right now and doesn't even realize that, you know, the passage where the man is making excuses. Well, I've just got married. I've got a piece of land making see-through excuses. Uh, lazy people are very good at defending their laziness, at least in saying the words. Um, the scripture says, again, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. So here's a, here's a guy who's been slothful in his spiritual walk. And seven wise men are sitting before him trying to help him, but he won't listen to them. Even though they give him reasons why he should be living a certain way, he can always come up with another reason why he shouldn't. Now, you're probably already doing this, but you're, you're probably uh, you're thinking of areas where you're slothful right now in your spiritual life. Now, I know the regular ones come in. I don't pray enough. I don't pray seriously enough. Um, I don't spend enough time in the word or at least uh, quality time in the word. I just fly through it. I know you're thinking maybe probably those things. Other things may come into your mind right now. I haven't really been taking my family responsibilities seriously. Uh, 
leading my family, if, if that be the case. Or maybe it's this. Maybe you have fallen into an area of spiritual sloth where you have a wrong attitude about work and you complain about it all the time. Where the Bible says, okay, here's how a spiritual person thinks. Um, you're not doing this as unto men, but as unto the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ, it says in Colossians 3. So when you go to your job, you've forgotten to think, okay, today, no matter what kind of thing I've got before me that I really would not choose for myself, I've got to remember, in this thing, I'm serving the Lord Christ. Half-hearted worship. I wonder, was anybody here this morning as we sang, was your mind wandering onto something else? I'll tell you, it's, a, it's, it's an especial danger for a preacher because the danger is thinking about what you're going to be saying and falling into that. And, and I've really had to try to discipline myself not to do that over the years. Say, pay attention, you're supposed to be worshiping in this particular way right now, not thinking about your sermon. Um, but you may have other things. Uh, maybe, now, I'm, now here you are today, and, I, and if I, so I say this, you're here, you say, why are you saying it, I'm here, but you, maybe you've become lackadaisical about, about attendance at church. Um, you wake up on a Sunday morning and say, you know, I've had a hard week, and they won't miss me there, and it's all about me, instead of remembering that you have a ministry to others as you go. Obviously, you'll be ministered to, to also. Uh, maybe you've become uh, lax about serving the brotherhood. The scripture says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. So, have you gotten into a drifting mode? You're not putting much effort into your Christian walk in some area. Um, We never drift upstream. We have to row, we have to paddle. Upstream, It's easy to drift. Uh, have you gotten into some habit? It could be it could be sinful in of itself or it could be uh, an indifferent thing, not sinful per se, but it's captured your zeal and your interest and it's taken up your time now. Is, it some, is there something you need to repent of it? Something that's robbing uh, you of your spiritual zeal? Are you busying yourself with so so many activities that you're just mindlessly uh, doing them and you're getting ragged and unkempt in your spiritual life? You know, Solomon describes a lazy man, his vineyard like this. And apply that to your spiritual life. Say, does my spiritual life, is it beginning to look like this? I pass by the field of a sluggard, by the field of a man lacking sense. By the way, did you see that parallel there? That's interesting, isn't it? A sluggard is a man who lacks sense. And behold, this vineyard, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. Now, you know, if you've got property, if you don't keep it up, how quickly the curse overtakes it with thorns and thistles and all those kinds of things. And. Your spiritual life will become like this, this lazy man's vineyard. It will become unkempt. It will become ragged. Um, or as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, beware of laziness. Because of laziness, the building decays. Literally, the rafters sink. And through idleness, the roof leaks. Sloth is the way of confusion. 
The way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. When you're lazy in your Christian life, things become confusing. The simplest things that we need to do become a way of thorns. Uh, Douglas Moo says the temptation to lose steam in our lifelong responsibility to reverence God in every aspect of our lives to become lazy and complacent in our pursuit of what is good and well-pleasing to God and perfect is a natural one. And it must be strenuous, strenuously resisted. Remember that old movie, Jimmy Stewart? He plays the part of uh, Charles Lindbergh flying to France. That flight took 33 and a, and a half hours. And in the movie, they portray Jimmy Stewart as falling to sleep once. And, and, and historically, he did come within 10 feet of the ocean at one time. And it shows him slapping him, his face. And we're told uh, historically that Lindbergh was putting his hands out the window and trying to blow air into his face because he had 33 and a half hours straight of flying. Well, that's what we need to do spiritually. We have to wake ourselves up sometimes. Uh, don't fall asleep. Resist it because it's disastrous if we do uh, go that route. That's why Paul says in First Thessalonians 5, 6, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. I, I marvel how often the songs that are picked, which I have nothing to do with, uh, they have something in them that I was going to say. So here it is. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And we're just kidding ourselves if we don't uh, think that that is truly the way we are by nature with the flesh still. Okay, so that's the that's the negative. But notice the positive. He says, and as the verse continues, be I'm going to paraphrase it, be boiling hot in serving Christ, boiling hot in spirit, serving the Lord, which is obviously the opposite of lagging in diligence. So the word he uses here, it means to be hot. It means to be boiling. It means to be seething. Uh, and he puts it in such a way that it means it's supposed to be a way of life. Um, not like a fire out of control, but like, a, like a, a hot wood stove that just is continually giving off heat. That's how he pictures the Christian life. He's not saying you're always supposed to be in fifth gear running crazy mad. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Because it can be misunderstood for that. But he's saying it should be the picture of eagerness to keep following Christ. As it says of Apollos in Acts 18.25, he was fervent in spirit. So get some pictures of that. Think of a movie you might have seen where there's a bloodhound or a German shepherd and they're going after uh, the, the criminal or the lost person. He's tugging at the leash. He's eager. He wants to get at it. Or if you go to one of the agricultural fairs and if you go to the horse pulling, as they try to hook those horses up, you know, sometimes they have to keep redoing it, trying to do it because the horse is so eager. They're prancing. They, they just can't wait to go. Eager, an eagerness. They're, they're boiling in spirit to, to pull that weight. Uh, think about how you are when you go to an activity you really enjoy. Uh, as a kid, the first time I ever went to Fenway Park, which was uh, May of 1970, i only seen it on television and mostly in black and white. And uh, I can remember going up that ramp for the first time. How did I do that? Was I going as a, as a rabid Red Sox fan? What was I doing? I couldn't wait to see what the field really looked like, and it was beyond my expectations. 
That's how he's saying we ought to be with our spiritual life, full of eagerness and anticipation of what God's going to be doing. Uh, boiling in spirit. Well, how, how do you maintain that? Or how do you get to it? Very simply, use the means of grace that God has given. Like you're doing this morning. You're here, you're praying, you're listening to the word, you've been singing. Use the means of grace. Gimmicks don't work. So many churches have found that out. You can keep it. If you've got the right kind of personality leading a congregation, you can keep the people coming and interested by putting on a show every week. But when all is said and done, it's like trying to live on Tootsie Rolls, Twinkies and soda pop. After a while, you're going to be sick and you're going to be unhealthy. And that's what's happening. It's happened so much. It's evident to me that. And I'm not saying this to butter you up. I have no reason to, but it's evident to me that this church has not been operating that way. I love your, your, your worship time as you're leading up to the time of the sermon. It's so Christ-centered, and it's not a bunch of fluff. It's, it's rooted. It's, it's solid stuff. It's solid food. Keep it up. Don't ever turn from that. If someone says, oh, that's why, why aren't you doing something more exciting? You know, well, just keep doing the things you're doing. Notice it's zeal with an object. Very important. Serving the Lord. That's what this zeal is about. It's not zeal for the church, per se. It's not zeal for the Bible, per se. It's not zeal for one another, per se. But it's zeal for all these things for Jesus' sake. You're serving the Lord. And I want to say it again. We're not talking here about wildfire, something out of control, um, but a controlled boil. Kind of a governed simmer like you do on your stove. Get something to a boil and you put it just where you want it so it doesn't boil over and cause a big mess. So it's not, he's not talking here about wild, unprincipled fanaticism. You know, like Hollywood likes to sometimes portray the wild-eyed, fundamentalist, evangelistic preacher. You know, he's crazy up and people are trembling in the pew and he's just crazy. You know, it's not talking about that. As Stott said, it is a zeal rooted in reality, not out there on the lunatic fringe. Now, something that I want to make clear is the scripture is not teaching here. Uh, when you when you see this fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. He's not talking about, as Kevin DeYoung puts it in his book, he's not talking about being crazy busy. OK. I haven't read that book. I've read parts of it. Um, but there's a bunch of quotes in that, from that book online. And so, by the way, someone who's been trolling me uh, on YouTube, my sermon's here. I quote too much. Well, troll, here's some food for you. <laughs> I, hope, I hope the troll's not sitting in here right now. But I'll feed you right here. DeYoung says this. Now, this is this is if you are making the mistake of thinking that uh, being boiling in spirit means being out of your mind busy. It's a real plague in our society. OK, listen to these quotes. We have to schedule time to be unscheduled. It takes real discipline. Some people, that's not a problem. Some people are so naturally lazy, they don't have to worry about that. But for some of you, this is a real problem. And you've got to schedule time to be truly unscheduled. Because you're a creature. You're a jar of clay. You're finite. He plays on an old quote by saying this. 
Busyness is like sin. Kill it or it will be killing you. Here's another one. I think maybe a lot of you need to hear this. Pastors need to hear it. We are busy because we try to do too many things. We do too many things because we say yes to too many people. We say yes to all these people because we want them to like us and we fear their disapproval. How true, how true. Here's another one that some of you surely need to hear this. Opportunities. Now, Kevin DeYoung is making a confession here. Opportunities have often felt like obligations to me. Think about that. Okay, you have an announcement in the church. There's need for a certain thing. You think, "Mm, come on, somebody. I've got too much going on already. Come on, like that. No one's doing anything. So it becomes, you think it's an obligation for you to do it. Now, maybe it is. But you're not supposed to say yes to everything. You have to learn to say, no, I can't do that. Opportunities have often felt like obligations to me. You know, some people have to learn they're not the Messiah. You know, if you pastor a church, for example, the pastor and elders can tell you there are so many problems just on every level in a church that you can't possibly do them all. And you come home sometimes and you feel like you just feel overwhelmed and you have to remember, I'm not the savior. I'm not the all powerful. I'm just a servant. I'm a jar of clay. I'll do my part and trust God to to do uh, what he wants to do through our efforts. You can't do everything. You can't solve every problem just the way it is. Yes. Okay. So I know we can take this the wrong way. So we say, they are good. I'm going to be on my couch from now on spiritually. No, we, we need to be diligent in the basic Christian disciplines, zealous in your area of calling, what God, what you believe God has called you to do, and others have confirmed that. But don't be forced or guilted into doing things that other people think you ought to do. That happens so often. Again, DeYoung says, so much of our busyness comes down to meeting people's expectations. Uh, there's a sense where we ought to say to each other, stop expecting so much out of everybody else. Um, again, you can run wrong with that because we do need to prod each other and help each other along. But let me say this. Some of the worst offenders in this area of guilting people are pastors and missionaries. You know, in, in my years as a pastor, I cannot tell you how many times either a pastor called me or I called him for something. And while I was talking, he would say, oh, by the way, I have just gotten involved in this certain area of ministry and you need to be doing it, too. And I want to say I've already got a full time schedule. You know, they would put start putting these things or missionaries will come in. Boy, I'll tell you, they've got their certain methods that they're using on the mission field. And there were there were always a few of them that would come in and say, well, you need to take this on. You need to adopt this in your church. And, you know, and it's too bad because you get to the point where you feel like I cannot wait till you leave, you know, because they're just driving you crazy. You know, and they're putting ideas into your people's head and the people thinking, yeah, why aren't you doing that? You know, that type of thing. So much of our busyness comes down to meeting other people's expectations. Okay, enough about that. So when we say boiling in zeal, 
We're not talking about being crazy busy. You have to decide before God what he wants you to do. That does not mean you shut everybody else out and say, no, I'm not listening to your advice. doesn't mean that. But it means when all is said and done, you have to decide how you're going to live your life before God, according to his word. Another thing, too, about this zeal. Be careful, beware of becoming a one-string banjo. Ding, 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 ding. There's a guy that used to come to our church once a year. He was from another place. He'd come visit it once a year. And he was on the same thing every year, condemning something else that another church was doing. Every year, same thing. I got to the point where I didn't want to talk to him anymore. Well, I got to that point pretty quickly, to be honest with you. But that's all he did. And I've noticed in the short time that we've been attending the church in Bangor, there's someone who comes there once a year and... Uh, providentially, I was in his pathway uh, last Sunday, and he was on the same gripe that he was on the year before when I providentially got put in his, I was going to say stock, but put in his pathway. The same gripe. And it's, it's not legitimate. It's, it's totally illegitimate. He's like Jehu. Remember Jehu? Jehu was raised up by God to kill the prophets of Baal. And he pulls someone up into his carriage there one day and he says, see my zeal for the Lord, Second Kings. And so he goes out and he kills the prophets of Baal with, with, his, with his army. He, he, kills, he tricks them into coming to the celebration. He kills them all. But you know how that's, the scripture tells us at the end of all that, that God commended him for doing what he was told to do. But it also says, but he never left the sins of Jeroboam and he didn't follow Yahweh with a sincere heart. He was a one-string banjo, and that's what one-string banjo people are like. They leave all kinds of other things undone, they should be doing, but they're on that one thing all the time. It's one thing that they're doing. Be careful of that. Zeal does not mean being out of balance. Be a full-orb Christian. And, of course, again, beware of mindless busyness. Dr. Lloyd-Jones, somewhere in a sermon, he tells a story about there was this big building. It was in Wales. It was on fire. And so the fire department was rushing there. When they got there, they found a man outside with a sledgehammer just pounding on a steel girder. And one of the firemen went up to him and said, what are you doing? He says, I don't know, but I felt like I ought to be doing something. Mindless busyness. Beware of that. Put the sledgehammer away. Just faithfully serve the Lord uh, in the ways that he has outlined in Scripture. Serving the Lord. Okay, let me read that verse again. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Now, again, Jesus is the perfect example of godly zeal. As a 12-year-old boy, you remember when his mother was chiding him for disappearing, he answered her, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Zeal. Did you not know, literally, that I must be about my father's things? One day his disciples went into town to get food, and while they were gone, Jesus was talking to the woman at the well. And they wanted to know what he was doing. They said, did you already have something to eat? And he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's what I'm about. That's what he was saying. And then... It says this in Luke 9:51. when the days drew near for him to be taken up, that's that's shorthand for everything involved in his trial, Gethsemane before that, going to the cross, 
the wrath of God being poured out him, upon him on the cross before he was taken up. When the days, he knew all this was going to happen. That's why he said, Father, if it's possible, remove this cup from me. He knew that he was facing hell on that cross. But when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And that's an allusion to that verse in Isaiah where it says, I have set my face like a flint, like an unmovable rock. I am going to do my father's will. Come what may. Not slothful in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, you've called us to be living sacrifices, wholly acceptable in your sight. And Lord, we cannot do that if we ignore these uh, principles of Christian conduct. This is what it means to be a human being. This is what it means to be a person who is under the lordship of Christ. And so, Lord, help each one of us, speak to us, show us, remind us, jog us where we're being spiritually lazy, where areas have gotten out of control and a kind of ragged, untrimmed. Help us, Lord, to by your spirit to bolster these things, to to fix them, to get back on board. Lord, when we think of this, we realize how much we need one another um, to uh, to sand off the the, the edges that are rough and to help each other uh, to walk in your ways. We have blind spots, as someone said a few weeks ago. And the person who says, well, I have no blind spots is proving the point. So, Lord, we pray that uh, you will help us to, um, before you, uh, not be lazy in any area. Help us, Lord, constantly. We are weak. We are prone to wander. Um, But, Lord, teach us to be boiling in spirit so that at all times, Lord, our thought is, in Christ I must serve. I, I must serve him in these things. Lord, help me to serve you. That is true zeal. That is true fervency of spirit. So, Lord, we pray that as we take into consideration this verse, that we'll remember that in all these things, the point is to be serving you, serving the Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.